On today's episode of the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, we talk with legendary CBS broadcaster Vern Lundquist. We talk about how he got into broadcasting and some of his Connecticut memories, ranging from Jim Calhoun and UConn George Mason to seeing Bubba Watson win his first PGA Tour event at the Travelers Championship. On a side note, before we get to our interview with Vern, week one of our Connecticut College Basketball Pick'em Contest is in the books. Congratulations to Dublin Huskies, the only player who got all 10 games right. Be sure to get your week two picks in today. So today on the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, we're joined by legendary uh, broadcaster Vern Lundquist. Uh, Vern, thanks again for joining us. Uh, To get started, why don't you give us a bit of your background and how you got into broadcasting? Well, uh, Jared, I refer to myself as an accidental broadcaster, really. Uh, When I graduated uh, from college uh, in 63 at the age of 23, uh, actually 62, but this would be the summer of 63, I went to theological school for a year. And I worked as a sports uh, radio disc jockey for that year. And uh, realized that I didn't have a commitment or the calling to continue with that educational path. And I landed a summer replacement radio announcer's job in my hometown of Austin. Uh, I was then 23. Uh, The job was an FM uh, summer replacement job with KTBC FM uh, in my hometown. And I lived with my mother and dad. Um, and I, so I, that was my summer job and I, I didn't have any real plans uh, beyond that one summer. And in August of that year, uh, the guy who'd been the sports director on television at uh, KDBC and just parenthetically, it was a station owned by Lady Bird Johnson and, uh, uh, managed in some distant degree by President Johnson. Uh, The sports job opened up, and I thought, boy, that sounds fascinating. I was never an athlete, but fortunately, I learned that early on, so I had no illusions. But uh, I love sports, and I love competition. So my way of of compensating was to write a sports column in high school, did the same in college. Uh, I was blessed with my dad's voice, uh, so... Uh, that was an advantage, and I did a lot of, of uh, public announcing at college basketball and college football games. So I had a kind of a superficial awareness of what the business was about. But the first big break came when the, the fellow uh, took a job in Houston. He'd been a guy, man I'd grown up watching uh, on Channel 7 in Austin. And I thought, what the heck, I'd love to try it. And I, I asked for an audition. I was given it. And I was hired on beginning Labor Day of uh, 63 as the weekend sports guy. And I filled in the rest of the time, uh, Monday through Friday, as a a disc jockey, five to nine every night. Uh, And then after four, five months, the guy that they had hired didn't work out. Uh, They let him go and they came to me and said, "Uh, would you like the the full-time job? So that's how I kind of fell into it and then it's as as we all know in this business it's a series of ups and downs sideways moves and back and forth and 
Uh, I was in Austin for three years as the Monday through Friday sportscaster. I uh, took a job in San Antonio for a year. Uh, after my third audition, I finally got what I'd been after all along, and that was a job in Dallas at the ABC affiliate. And then it's just luck and circumstance. I mean, I I happened to be offered the job for the Cowboys radio network uh, in 72, and I was told by Tex Schramm when he offered me the job, uh, if you aspire to network sportscasting, uh, you should take this because we're going to be pretty good. And if you can do it, and I think you can, uh, the networks will find you. And so in 74, at the age of 34, <clears throat> I uh, did my first college football telecast for ABC, and I was with them for eight years, and then really got a heck of a chance when I went to CBS in 82. And effectively, I've been at CBS now 36 years. and. Uh, that led to college football, NFL, that led to golf. And, and uh, so along the way, a lot of good fortune, a lot of breaks, and uh, also a few setbacks. One of the things uh, I think you're most well-known for up here here in Connecticut is some of your college basketball coverage. I, I know you've been along uh, for multiple UConn runs uh through multiple ups and downs as well. You were with them on both their 2011 and 2014 championship runs, and you were also there for the big loss uh, and upset by George Mason. What sticks out to you about some of those UConn games you've done in your career? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I can't even remember the game now, but I'll tell you one of the more vivid memories I have. And, of course, I did games over the years <clears throat> in both stores and Hartford primarily. Uh, I was trying to get to uh, Hartford and drive to stores. And I, for some reason, I was in Chicago. And we took off. And we got over Lake Michigan, almost to Detroit. Had a mechanical turned back. Uh, they said, we'll get you another airplane, which they did in two hours. Took off, had a mechanical turned back. And finally, and I'd started about four in the afternoon, they finally found a plane, and we we flew into Hartford in a total blizzard. And then I had a rental car, and I somehow made my way to stores and got there at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, that was the day before the day before the game. So it wasn't like I got there at 4 and had to get up and go to a game with Raftery. Uh, we had a day to watch practice and recover. But I, and and all of those games I did when Jim Calhoun was the coach, uh, the most memorable, I think, probably, I mean, obviously, the championship games uh, uh, with uh, Mecca Okafor and, and Khalil and, um, and then going out west, Raftery and I were there in Anaheim. But uh, people never, ever, ever forget George Mason uh, beating the top-ranked team. That game was in Washington, D.C. And uh, George Mason, I believe, was uh, 14, something like that, 11 maybe. Uh, and, and inexplicably to this day, uh, they hung in. I remember Denton Brown had a chance uh, uh, to be banked off the glass at the buzzer 
a three-pointer. But somehow, uh, George Mason hung in. And then, as we all kind of expected, when they got to the Final Four, um, they were just out of gas. But uh, I, I just have so many very good memories of visiting stores or uh, working with Billy Packard um, over a number of years of, uh, when UConn was really, really uh, at the top of college basketball. I know in 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 the book, uh, you talk a bit about some of your experiences with with some other coaches. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, Jim Calhoun did have that reputation of being a bit cranky with the media. Did you ever get on the uh, on the bad end of that? You know, to the contrary, no. Uh, and I think I may have been the lucky recipient of, of, of affiliations with two guys whom Jim Calhoun respected. Uh, Billy Packer and Bill Raftery. And, and I always got, I know, I know the cranky part. I know what you're talking about. Uh, but I'll give you, uh, I'll give you the antidote to that. And I'm sure this was UConn at Pittsburgh, uh, when, uh, Pittsburgh was pretty good and so was UConn. And that happened to be, on the 50th, the anniversary of my 50th year in broadcasting. So this would have been five or six years ago. And uh, before the game, someone had whispered to Jim that I was celebrating this very significant anniversary in in, uh, in my craft. And Jim made his way over in that Peterson Event Center on the campus. You know, the one where they put all the suites opposite the cameras and all the students are behind you making it impossible to hear. Uh, and he made his way over, and, and uh, I was very kind of him. He said, I understand there's a special day for you. And I said, uh, it, it is, Jim, it's 50 years. And he reached around, gave me a hug, and he said, that is remarkable. And it was a very affectionate thing, um, which I really, really appreciated. That was a sight of him that some people in my business didn't get to see very often. When, when you're doing, I, I think probably outside of these uh, big-time Big East games back in the day, doing the NCAA tournament games, when you're doing them, you were with, you know, you saw Kemba Walker, you saw Shabazz Napier, those runs that kind of came out of nowhere. While you're watching those games, do you ever get that feeling that this could be a, a team that could run the table that could make that championship run while you're doing games? Well, not while I'm actually in the process of doing games, but I think over the course of doing a number of games uh, uh, to, with uh, in association with a team, uh, you get a sense. I mean, and sometimes every break goes for that team, but other times it's you know you have an idea even back in October and November that potentially these guys could be pretty good. And then they sometimes they fall off the wagon and, and don't succeed when they're expected to. But oftentimes, uh, I just remember the team that went west uh, with Kimball Walker and uh, what what the pieces they put together. And Okafor, of course, and, and uh, uh, just, uh, uh, just a lot of indications. But during a game, no. I mean, it's back and forth and up and down, and sometimes the team will dominate, sometimes they have to struggle. 
But uh, over the course of a couple of months, yeah, you get a feeling. Yeah, and another big event here in Connecticut is the Travelers Championship. And you've been on hand uh, for some big moments in Travelers Championship history. Uh, you got to see Bubba Watson's first uh, career PGA Tour win here. What's it like uh, doing golf in your experience at the Travelers Championship? Well, the first thing I remember is uh, I've done the Hartford, gosh, I mean, even back in the 80s when it was the Sammy Davis Open. Uh, But, but, uh, of course, the golf course uh, is is one of the PPC golf courses, which means it's fan-friendly. Um, and, and the Watson win was one of the more memorable because, um, he got in the playoff and he was in a playoff with two of the shortest hitters on the tour, uh, Corey Pavin and Scott Burplank. And what we didn't know then after he had won and, uh, we sent, I can't even remember now who our on course reporter, it wasn't Costas, but they, they sent the remote crew and, and Bubba and Angie were embracing and he had tears in his eyes and none of us knew at that moment when he was interviewed that he was weeping because his father uh, was on a very, very short list to live. He had cancer. And my recollection is that his dad died, I think within six weeks after the Hartford, uh, but it's such a memorable golf course because uh, the the crowds are enormous. Matter of fact, in '95, uh, I'm just thinking back to this. Uh, uh, we had lost the NFL to Fox, and I had stayed on. I, for a variety of reasons, chose uh, not to follow the the herd over to Fox, and we had some kind of a of a jailbreak of guys. Uh, I, I just elected to stay at CBS, and part of the reason was uh, a continuation of being um, an important part of our golf package. And my last, at that point, my last golf tournament for CBS, because I had elected to take an opportunity to go to uh, uh, to Turner, for th- which I did for three years, was in Hartford. And uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, but 18 green and there's a sharp hill right behind the green where the golfers walk up to go to the scoring tent. And the last two guys I interviewed on, on the green in that event, uh, and Jim Nance was the, uh, was the host, were Fuzzy Zeller and Greg Norman. Uh, so that was an associate. I mean, they were both, Norman, of course, I think was, more gifted than Fuzzy, but Fuzzy had the uh, more pleasant personality. So I was uh, that was a study in contrast. And here again, uh, you know the the connection, and then the connection for me in Connecticut goes all the the way down to to New Haven uh, when I was doing the Cowboys on radio, uh, and this would be seventy four. And I had thought about this in a long, long time. Uh, Craig Morton had demanded a trade, and the trade was made with the New York Giants, who were just terrible at that time. Uh, and, and Craig was bemoaning the fact that he, he did get his trade because he'd lost his job to Roger Staubach. And the Giants were playing in the Yale Bowl for a year. 
And I was good friend of both Craig's and Rogers. Uh, and, and on the Saturday, <laughs> I had had a college game for ABC in Tucson, Arizona. Now, you could still fly on Saturday nights back in those days, but I promise you, it was, there, it was not a nonstop. I had to travel to uh, to uh, uh, Dallas, change planes, travel to LaGuardia. Uh, they did have a car pick me up, and, uh, and without any sleep, got into New Haven. And here were Craig Morton, now the Giants quarterback, and Roger Staubach, the Cowboys quarterback. I'll guarantee you, I made I mixed up the two names at least four times. It's stuck with the Giants and and Morton with the Cowboys. So, uh, and I did do. I'm just thinking now. I did a Yale game with Brown and Carm Koza was the coach. So if I think back over a, a 36 year net, well 45 year network career, uh, a lot of those events took place in Connecticut great memories for for everyone here uh i want to make a a transition over to some college football talk and and one thing i found interesting in your book is that you thought it was a demotion when you were initially asked to do sec football why did you view that as a demotion and and then how did how soon did it take you to realize uh, that it was actually a great opportunity for you well the reasons i had to do with what my assignment was at that point uh, I had I had done college football at, at ABC. <clears throat> I had gone to CBS in '82 uh, to do college football, and that lasted for two years. And then I got a call that uh, really changed a lot about how I've lived and, and the associations I've had. Uh, I was told in the summer of '74 that a change was going to be made. Uh, Terry Bradshaw was going to retire with the Steelers. Uh, it had not yet been announced, but they were going to choose me to be his new partner. Now, Terry had never done broadcasting, and that showed uh, early on. I was still pretty new at it, uh, but we worked together for two years, uh, and then we were split up. For re- I still can't tell you why, and then put back together in the late 80s. Uh, and then over the next 20 years, uh, I just had a series of, of terrific partners, Bradshaw, uh, Pat Hayden, Dan Fouts, Randy Cross, Dan Deardorff. And I'd worked my way up so that, uh, Jared, I was the number two guy behind, uh, well, first Summerall and then uh, Jim Nance. And life is pretty good if you're the number two guy in the NFL. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, here I was uh, doing games in New England, in New York, in Chicago, San Francisco, and uh, uh, the travel was tough. And I just didn't, what we had done, and it was a, turned out to be a brilliant decision, was in the late 90s, we had signed a contract with the SEC, and we took their game of the week and televised it nationally but this was uh, an era when college football was essentially a regional sport and abc had always uh, approached it that way so on a very typical saturday afternoon they would have games in four regions of the country and if they did a doubleheader the second game would be national and that's the one that 
uh, Keith Jackson would do. But for for CBS to take the gamble of taking uh, a Southeast Conference game and put it in Seattle and Portland and Chicago and Boston against the regional offerings of ABC uh, was a tough proposition. Well, two things happened. First of all, uh, I was called and, and I, I called CBS and I said, I keep hearing all these rumors about Dick uh, Enberg making himself available because he was unhappy at NBC. And my boss said, well, I've heard that too, but I don't think there's any chance we would hire him. Uh, he's been 30 years at NBC and uh, he's a high ticket item, very high profile, Hall of Famer for gosh sakes. And then he, he paused and he said, now in the unlikely event that we were to hire Dick Enberg, how would you feel about doing the SEC on CBS? And I said the proper things and hung up the phone and looked at Nancy and I said, honey, we better pack our bags for Tuscaloosa. And uh, I did, I, I was not happy because if you're, uh, and this is a pretty particular approach to things and now in retrospect, not so happy about it, but, you know, we were staying in, in really nice hotels and, in New England, New York, uh, Chicago, San Francisco. And now I was going to commute. We live in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and that's our choice. So concurrent with that decision are some difficulties in getting to and from. And so there go the direct flights, and I promise you this, uh, there are no Ritz-Carlton's or Four Seasons anywhere in the SEC. So... Uh, that that idea was gone uh, for me, but it took me, my very first game was with Todd Blackledge, uh, who remains a dear friend after all these years. We did Florida at Tennessee, and uh, Jesse Palmer, who still is now on television, was the quarterback of Florida. He took him about an 80-yard drive in two minutes, and they scored the winning touchdown. Uh, with 15 seconds to go, we got off the air and I looked at Todd and I said, are they all like this? And he said, enough of them. And uh, I'm a sucker for tradition. I'm a sucker for passion and allegiance and loyalty. And all of those things are on display at each of the SEC schools. And, uh, I share with you, I remember after we'd done it about three years, and by now I was all in. Uh, and Nancy and I were at the uh, Iron Bowl in, in Tuscaloosa. So Auburn's playing Alabama. It's a beautiful day in the halftime. Both bands are sharing the field. And, uh, the stands are filled with flags, and you've got orange and blue and uh, crimson and white. And the bands are out there, and I put my arm around my wife's uh, waist and I looked at her and I said okay tell me the truth would you rather be doing this than Cincinnati at Tampa Bay and of course we laughed and and there's just there was no going back and then by happy coincidence the BCS came along it made games in Tuscaloosa and Gainesville and Knoxville relevant 
to the Big Ten cities and the Pac-10 and the Big 12. And then what really just elevated the status of the league was when they won seven national championships in succession. So without a doubt, it was the most significant uh, assignment I had in 45 years of, yeah, 45 years of of, uh, network television. I know you did American Athletic, uh, which UConn is in. You did their football uh, media day a couple of years ago. Um, and we've seen the success with Central Florida of late in particular uh, in the college football setting from that conference. Can you see that conference uh, ever making a playoff game? Yeah, I can. Uh, and and I, Mike Oresco, the commissioner, is a dear, dear friend of ours. Uh, Mike and Sharon, he was a CBS. And, uh, so I became a proponent of the AAC in, in part because of Mike but also because of the quality of play. And they they promote a slogan, and I've helped them promote it. Uh, I've done some commercials for the league, and it's, you know, the, the, the whole idea of there being a Power Six alignment instead of just the Power Five. Uh, I know, well, uh, I guess on game day last Saturday, uh, there was a campaign to promote the idea of UCF as last year's national champion, uh, and and the bigger conferences will poo-poo that idea because they point to the absence of quality opposition. Well, look yourself in the eye uh, and in the mirror because um, at least, I'd say, 75% of the Power Five conferences regularly schedule FCS opponents uh, and they pay them to come in for a guaranteed win. Uh, so they are not blameless in uh, non-quality opponents. Uh, and I, I, I know Mike Oresco is making this push to become a part of the, the natural conversation about uh, the, the ultimate uh, Final Four. Uh, I wish them success. I think they deserve to be recognized with that kind of equality. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Okay. Enjoyed it very much.